morning. It is good to be here today. My family, we were uh, in Seattle last week, so we missed you guys. We, uh, it was really cool. We got to um, reunite with some of the families that uh, were in China with us at the same time, adopting Maddie. Um, so there, there, I think there are 13 of us from the same adoption agency. So we spent two weeks of life together, this pretty life-changing moment for us. We bonded quickly, and uh, uh, we, we haven't seen them in more than two years now. So uh, five of the families decided to get together in Seattle, and we, we got to see uh, these different kiddos that were adopted at the same time as Maddie. And just, even now, it just kind of makes me tear up a little bit. It was, it was awesome. Such a blessing. Um, we, we did, uh, it was fun. So these families, a lot of them hadn't been to Seattle, so we did like the touristy things that um, you should do in Seattle. Um, but so many of us, or at least if you're like us, like we don't do them. Uh, so we'd never taken our kids to the Space Needle, and we finally did that because all the other families were doing it. And we did some other things too. We went to Pike's Place Market. I love Pike's Place Market. Um, have you guys all been to Pike's Place? It's, it's great. So my favorite thing, if you don't know, like everyone knows about the, the guys who throw the fish. Near those guys that throw a fish are uh, the, this, this uh, guy that makes mini donuts, right? Miniature hot donuts. And they're so good. They're so, so good. The line is so long and it's so worth it. But anyway, on our way up to Pike's Place Market, um, we're, we're walking to Pike's Place and we, there was this uh, nice hotel and uh, we walked up and there were six black SUVs, like totally shiny. They all matched. And it just looked a little strange. Like, what is this? And, and, then, and then I realized, like, oh, there's a police officer right there. And he's talking to one of the guys in the SUVs. And then I realized, like, all the guys around like have jackets on and they've got like really defined like jaw lines. Like they look like their jaw alone could beat you up, right? <laughs> um, and they have earpieces. And so pretty soon you realize like, oh, they're here because there's someone really important here. Like I don't know who, but they're here to protect someone. And, and my son looked at me, he's like, dad, this is just like the movies. Like, well, no, this is actually just like real life. <laughs> right? the, that's what the movies are about. Um, Anyway, it was, it was cool. My son and I thought it was pretty cool. We, we didn't wait around to find out who was there. But um, later on our trip, I was driving, and, and I think, like most of my family, had fallen asleep, just they were wiped out. And this is probably a guy thing, but as a guy, you see stuff like that, and you kind of imagine, like, what is it like to be one of those guys with those jaw bones and the earpiece and your packing? And, uh, and, and you kind of put yourself in those situations that you've seen in the movies where, where a guy, like, bullets are flying, and, and a guy guy like dives in front of the president or whoever and takes a bullet and and you're imagining that and then pretty quickly for me I realized like I don't think I'd dive to catch that bullet like I wish I was that brave but I just know I'm not right for my family yes right I hope I sure hope um for the president or somebody else I'm paid to like I man I, I wouldn't I don't think I have it in me and I was I was just thinking about like how do these guys how do they know that they will step up and perform like when it when it matters the most like when it gets intense like how do they find these people that that, that will risk their their life to do that when the opposition when when the bullets are flying when it's intense how, how do they know and, and, and the reason I bring that up is in John we've seen the the, the atmosphere the climate. Uh, around Jesus, and, and it's getting more and more intense. More and more people want Jesus dead, and you'd think that 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 might cause him to shrink away. But 
but it doesn't. Like, no matter how intense it is, Jesus just keeps going. I'm, I'm actually going to start with our truth statement this week. Uh, it, it's about this. It says, Jesus never compromises communicating the truth about his identity and his mission, regardless of intensifying opposition. Right? The more intense it gets, it's, it's almost like the, the more clear he gets in his communication. He's not going to back down. They must know who he is and, and why he has come. Let's, let's read the passage, or I'm going to read the passage to you. This is John chapter 7, verses 25 36. For some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. The chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm, going to go, uh, then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. So throughout John, it's getting more and more intense. The clearer that Jesus gets, the pressure is ratcheting up with the Pharisees, with, with, with the officials. And yet Jesus does not back down, even though they want him dead. They want him out of the picture. Verses 25 and 26 again. It says, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that Jesus is the Christ? So Jesus is like a, a puzzle to these people that are listening. Right? They're listening to him teach, and they're, and they're trying to take these pieces that they have and put them together and figure out what is the truth about Jesus. They've heard what he's done. Some of them, maybe many of them, have been eyewitnesses to the miracles he's performed They've heard him teach, and he teaches unlike anyone they've ever heard before. He, he teaches with actual authority, not, not just an expert in who God is, but as someone who truly knows God. So the people listening, they hear, they, they know that the officials want him dead, and yet here's Jesus speaking openly, so they start to wonder to themselves, do the officials, like, have they heard do they have like an inside scoop? Do they know that Jesus really is the Christ, that Jesus really is the Messiah? Maybe that's what's happening. Otherwise, you'd think they would just go and, and take him. He's right here in front of all of us. Verse 27 is another obstacle in deciding if Jesus is the Messiah. It says, but we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from 
So this quandary was a somewhat commonly held belief among many of the people, but not by all, that, that the Messiah, um, he would only be revealed when he's in glory. Um, and, and the people recognize, like, hey, we know where Jesus is from, right? We know his, we know his parents, we know where this guy came from, um, but it doesn't take long to refute this. If you've read your Bible uh, much, you, you know that the Jews are well aware Jesus is going to be from the line of David. If you think back to even Matthew 2, Herod, he's trying to ascertain where will the Christ be born. And his people figure out pretty quickly from Micah 2, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So, so clearly this wasn't true, but Jesus doesn't argue with them on, on this. He, he could have put them in their place quickly, but instead he, he takes the opportunity to clarify who he is and who his father is and why he's come. Verse 28. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me. You know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. So he proclaims, You know me. You know where I come from, but I, my suspicion is that this is a little tongue-in-cheek at, at least. He could have said it, You think you know me. You think you know where I've come from, but you really don't have a clue of my origin. He says, I haven't come on my own. And there were many pretenders before Jesus. There were many pretenders after Jesus that claimed that they were the Messiah. But they were all self-appointed. Jesus was not. Jesus didn't come on his own. He, he was sent by God. And he says, the one who sent me is true. And true means genuine or, or real, as in the, the real living God has sent me. The one that you claim to know and follow, that is who has sent me. And then he drops a bomb on him. And he says, and you don't know him. Right? You don't know God. He, he flat out tells them, you, the Jews, God's chosen people, you do not know God. And to say this to them, like this is the nation that has a completely unique history with God, unlike anyone else. God has saved them over and over and over again from bigger and stronger nations. Right? He, he saves them. They follow him for a while. Then they fall into sin. He lets them live in their sin and the consequences of their sin. And then they cry out to him, and he saves them. And over and over again, this happens. He saves at least a remnant of them over and over again, not because they deserved it, but to glorify himself, to display his grace, because, because he loves. He loves them. So not only has he done this for them, but this is the very people that, that God gave the law to. Right? No other nation had the law directly from God. God gave them the law, wrote the words on the tablet. They had this, right? They had the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Like they had God's word. Unlike any other nation, God lived among the Jews, right? We remember from when we were in Exodus, the tabernacle, which is a portable temple, right? It's this tent that they took with them, that God dwelled in with them. And, and it's, it's easy, especially when you heard this over and over again, it's easy to forget how significant it is that God dwelt with his people, right? And this doesn't come close, but this is as close as I can get. My kids, and if you've had kids when they're little, my kids when they were little at least, they want me to like spend the night in their room sometimes, right? Not because they're scared, because they think like, 
This is like a step or two below Disneyland. Like if dad sleeps in my room on the floor, like this is going to be great, right? So we, it takes a while. They have to ask me for days. Um, but it takes a while, and eventually like we'll set up our sleeping bags, or sometimes my kids even want to set up a tent in their room. And, 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 and I'll sleep there. I'll spend the night with them there. It's never because I'm really excited to do it, though, right? Like, it's always, it's always my kid's idea. It's always what, what they have initiated. They think this will be awesome. And I do it because I love them, but that's not, that's not why God dwelt with his people, right? It wasn't because the people said, hey, dwell with us, dwell with us. Come live with us. Set up your tent with us. No. This is God's idea. This is God's desire. And it's, it's an amazing thing that we see throughout Scripture, right? Even with Jesus coming, the Word became flesh, dwelt among the people. Right? And we'll see this, we see this in Revelation in the end. Right? God's going to dwell with his people in heaven. So, so the Jews, their relationship with God is, is totally unique. And yet Jesus tells them, you don't know God. You, you don't know God. And it's hard to wrap your mind around what, what this must have been like to receive this this message, to hear this news, and the closest parallel I can even imagine is someone telling you that, that, that a family member of yours that you don't really know who they are, that, that they've got like some other life that you know absolutely nothing about. I had this happen to a friend. I don't have time for the story, but he, he'd heard these things from, from people that he didn't even know, that, that this family member that he, he, he thought he knew, he loved, had this other life. And he didn't believe it. And then one day he got a phone call and everything just kind of came together and it all made sense that it was all, it was all true. That, that, that really what he knew about this family was a lie. And he got, he got dizzy and fell straight to the ground. He just, he just crumpled to the ground at this realization that he didn't know this person. And Jesus says, you don't know God. Verse 29, not only does he say, you don't know God, but he says, I know him for I've come from him and he sent me. So the, the hearers, they've just heard, we don't know God, but, but Jesus, you're saying you do, and he sent you. Well, why did he send you? He sent you because we need to know him? How preposterous is that idea that, that they would need someone to come to him? I, uh, when I was in high school, uh, our church did a summer camp, and uh, there's this kid named Ben, and Ben was a, he was a goofy guy, just really bizarre sense of humor. Um, and uh, Ben followed this other guy, Scott, around all week. And both Ben and Scott know Jesus. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that they know Jesus. They did back then. And Ben took, uh, he found, this is a church camp we were at, so he found a really old, like, gospel track. And he, he followed Scott around all week and read the gospel track to Scott as, as if Scott had never heard about Jesus and needed to receive Jesus as Lord and he needed to repent of his sin and all this. And it was really funny, like, the first day that Ben was doing it. Was, you too, Scott can know Jesus. And he's going through page by page. And at first, Scott thought it was funny. But after days, and I'm not kidding, he persisted all week with this. After days, it became ridiculous that, that Ben was doing this. And, and I'm sure to, to the Jews, to God's people, it, it seemed absurd that, that, that God would send, that, that this man claiming that God would send Jesus to them. So they're irate. Verse 30, it says, so they were seeking to arrest him. 
but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come to arrest or, or seize him, right? They're so upset that they just want to, to grab him, um, not even go through official channels and have him, have him uh, properly detained, but just grab him and, and take him and get him out of there because he said, you don't know God. So opposition, it's getting more and more intense, and, and yet Jesus does not back down in any way. He continues to speak the truth. He continues to explain who he is and why he is here. And the reason is because these people desperately needed to know. They needed to know the truth. Jesus was their only hope to be saved from their sin. And this is the hardest news for them to hear and to digest and to accept. Have you ever started a project any kind of project, little or small, or little or big, and, and, um, and, and you make a lot of progress in it, and, and then you realize, like, I didn't do that step. <laughs> like, step number three, I forgot to do that. This happens to me somewhat often um, in, 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 uh, when I'm building things. I'm not handy at all. Um, it, but it's not even, I say building, even Legos, okay? <laughs> Um, so uh, my kids all love Legos, and I've never been a Lego guy. I respect them. They're cool. They can make those things, but it's never been my thing. So when, when one of my kids is too young to like, actually put it together and follow all 60 steps themselves, I agree to do it. Um, and, and I'll be going along, and I, and I kind of think I know what I'm doing. I'm rushing along, and I get to like step 23, and there's this piece that's supposed to connect to this other piece that supposedly is already in what I built, and I'm looking, I'm like, it's not there. And at first, I always think that Lego got it wrong, like they messed up, right? And, and then so I go back to double check their work, and I look, and I'm like, son of a gun, step number four, missed it. Yeah, and, and then so I evaluate, oh, does this car need four wheels? <laughs> or is three gonna be enough? Like, will my five-year-old really figure that out, right? And obviously, what I have to do is I have to go back and I have to, I have to take all this apart so that I can get it right. And, and, and Jesus, he, he's telling them, you got to deconstruct, you got to blow up what, what you think you knew, what you think you know about, about God. Right? You, you need to start over so you, you can truly know who God is, so you can have peace with God. And this is not happy news. And I see at least two big, big hurdles here at play. One is, obviously, will they recognize that, that Jesus is right, that, that, that his, his message is right, and, and that it's true? And, and then the second is, will they, will they accept it? Will they admit that, that they're wrong and that Jesus is right, that they need Jesus? Um, none of us like to find out that we're wrong. Right? Or at least I hate finding out that I'm wrong. And there are certain people that it's not all that bad if, I, if they know that I'm wrong about something. But there are other people in life, maybe it's your sibling, maybe it's one of your parents, spouse, whatever. Like, when they know you're wrong, it's just the worst. Do you relate to that at all? I'm getting blank stares. I hate it. <laughs> Sometimes that person is my wife when she knows that I'm wrong. So four years ago, going to Haiti, I uh, told you about this trip a few weeks ago, going to Haiti with some people from our church. It's the night before. I've packed everything. And Lindsay, my beautiful, loving wife, says, hey, uh, let's talk about what you packed about. And I'm like, I'm 34. <laughs> I don't need you to go over my packing list with me. But she's insistent. So I'm like, okay, I'll play her little game, right? So she asked me off the bat, like, 
you bring a Bible. Come on, I'm a pastor. You're like, yes, I brought a Bible, right? And then she goes through all these things. Pants. Well, yes, I brought pants, right? Do you bring this, this, and that? And she's just listing everything off, and it's all stuff I need. She's totally right, 100%. I um, am a little proud in this moment. And then she says, did you pack underwear? And my heart drops. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my goodness. I didn't pack my underwear. But I did not tell her that. I let it go by as if I did pack it. And I thought, I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night and get my underwear and put it in my bag. Or the next morning and put it in my bag. But I did not want her to know. I didn't want to be wrong in front of my wife. A couple weeks after the trip, I told her that, that I didn't pack my underwear. But man, these people, Jesus is coming straight at their pride that they do not know God. He, he's so gracious to attack their pride of knowing who God is. And I, I ask you today, how does your pride keep you from Jesus? And, and I think that question is applicable to everyone in the room. Like whether you're trying to figure out if Jesus is, is, is real or, or if you follow Jesus for decades, how, how's our pride keeping us back from Jesus? Verse 31 says, Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? So in verses 25 through 31, we see these different questions and obstacles that, that the people have when, when, they're, when they're trying to figure out this puzzle of, is, is, is what we've heard about Jesus true? Like, who is Jesus? Is Jesus really the Christ. And if you have questions about who Jesus is, if you haven't decided to follow him yet, I encourage you, aggressively seek answers to those questions. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to shed light, to shed truth into these. Pray that he would open up the word to you so that you can understand who Jesus is. Find someone that knows Jesus, that knows the word, that will help you uh, in, in these answers. These, these people in these verses, they're, they're, they're seeking, they're looking, they're, they're trying to get their questions and answers, and, and many of them came to believe. And their questions, their goal of figuring out if Jesus is the Christ is just as important for us today. Right? Can, can, can Jesus really be who he says he is? Can it be true that Jesus is God? Is it possible that, that Jesus really did die for your sins and not just die, but, but raised from the dead? It is what the Bible says about Jesus. Is it true? I want to read for you just a couple of verses, some of my favorite verses about Jesus. And these won't be on the screen. This is Hebrews 1.3. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Colossians 1.15. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Colossians 1.19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Praise God. John 1.14 and some of the following verses after that. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. 
He has made him known. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So if you're here in the room, I understand there's a, there's a good chance that you're thinking, yeah, I, I believe all of that, Greg. I believe everything that the Bible says about Jesus. Good. Continue to respond to Jesus. If you think you've arrived, you have not. <laughs> Just ask your spouse or your sibling. We have not arrived. When we come to believe in Jesus, and by believe in Jesus, I mean receiving him as Lord, trusting his death, his resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. So when we come to believe in Jesus, we're sanctified in one sense. In another sense, God continues to sanctify us until we breathe our last breath. And what I mean by that is he's making us more and more like Jesus. Praise God. Praise God he doesn't, he doesn't just save us and leave us there. He continues to make us more and more like Jesus. So if you meet Jesus at age 15, you, you will look differently as a Jesus follower at age 28 and at age 42 and 74 and 98 if you live that long. Like Jesus, you will continue to grow more and more in Jesus as the Holy Spirit works in you. 2 Corinthians 3.18, I love this verse. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I love, I love this verse and, and what it tells us uh, that, that God is doing in us. The Holy Spirit is transforming us degree by degree, more and more into the image of Jesus. He, he, he transforms us, it says, into the same image. And, and the wording here at the beginning when it says unveiled face reminds us uh, of Moses. Moses, if you don't know the story, he'd meet with God, right? Sit, and God's glory would so impact him that when he'd leave that tent, his face, it, it, it glowed. It, it said it shone so brightly that it scared people. They couldn't handle this afterglow that he had just from being in God's presence. So he'd, he had to put a veil over his face so they wouldn't freak the people out. And, and, and after a while, the longer he spent away from God's presence, the glow would fade, right? Like right now, some of you, you're enjoying the sun, and you, you got a tan, but come December, you're going to look in the mirror and realize you're not so dark, right? You're a little pale, I'll say. Um, it, it fades, and yet the opposite is happening here, not with our tan, <laughs> but, but it says the opposite is happening here. We, we don't fade, but we're becoming more and more and more like Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. I encourage you, in, in, in my experience, it goes better when you're an eager participant with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And what I mean by that is respond to Jesus. R respond. Continue to believe. Continue to grow and understand and knowing who Jesus is. Let the reality of who Jesus is permeate every part of you and, and change you. So, Knowing Jesus should change how you work. It should change who you are as a student. It should change how you do business, how you interact with neighbors. It should change how you view and use money. It should change how you, how you recreate, how you approach retirement, how you participate in your community. Knowing Jesus should change every part of you, and the Holy Spirit will continue to change you the longer you follow him. Jesus should change all of who we are, not, not just some of who we are. And one particular way 
that God will make you more and more like Jesus is a greater desire and passion to see others come to know the truth of who Jesus is and, and respond to him. And, and maybe, maybe sharing Jesus is a scary thought to you. But as we follow Christ, as we realize how badly we need Jesus, how badly everyone needs Jesus, we understand what matters is, is, is more and more people hearing about Christ and, and responding to him as their Lord and Savior. Verse 32 says, The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things, right, about them believing in Jesus, muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. So these two groups, the Pharisees and the chief priests, they didn't always get along. They didn't always see eye to eye, but they've got a common enemy in Jesus. So they go and they get the officers, the temple guard, and just think of like the temple police, and they say, you, you've got to arrest this guy. We're, we're, we're ordering you to arrest this man. And we don't find out until later in the chapter, we'll get into this next week, that they, they don't arrest him. And I, I love their answer um, that, that's coming up. I'm not going to give it away now. Um, the answer that they give is, is pretty great. But, but really, their ultimate answer, we, we read back in verse 30. Right? It says, no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not come yet. Right? No, one, no one arrested him because God was in complete control of the timing. Jesus would be arrested at one point. He'd be arrested, handed over for trial, he'd be crucified, but, but it was not time yet. And, and I, I take such great comfort in knowing that God is in complete control. Right? We, we see God's control here, that, that he's in complete control. I'm sure that, that that's part of why Jesus was able to keep going, why, why, he, why he was able to keep, even in the midst of of the opposition getting more and more intense, he just kept going, kept telling the truth because he knew, he knew that his hour had not come yet. He knew what he was there to do. So for us as believers, even if bodily harm comes to us, right, even if our life is taken, we are secure in Jesus. There's nothing for us to fear at all. Verse 33, Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. So the, the plan to arrest him has taken the next step forward, and yet Jesus continues to teach. He, he continues to teach because there's only a short time for these people to respond to him, and this time wasn't determined by the authorities. Right? This time was determined by God. Verse 34 says, You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Right? The opportunity to respond to Jesus, that window was closing. Right? There, there, there would be a time where it would be too late when Jesus was going to, he was going to leave and they wouldn't be able to respond to him uh, with Jesus in their presence, that he was, going to come to have, he was going to go to heaven where unbelievers could not come, where they could not follow him. And similarly, like time is ticking. Time's ticking now. If you don't know Jesus yet, man, you've got to figure this out. Time's ticking for, for my neighbors, for, 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 for uh, my friends, or my kids' friends. Time's ticking for your coworker. Like, people need to hear about Jesus. Verse 35, the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you'll seek me and you'll not find me where I am, you cannot come? And again, the words of Jesus, like we see throughout John, they they just confuse the people. It's understandable. They're thinking in earthly ways, right? They're, they're thinking, they're trying to figure out what physical place can Jesus go to 
where, where we can't find him. So they say, well, maybe he's going to go to where, where the Jews that aren't, aren't living among the Jews, where they're dispersed among the Greeks. Right? Maybe he's going to go and preach to them. Maybe there he will preach. And, and, and perhaps they're even thinking, maybe he's going to preach to the Gentiles, to the heathens. And ironically, I think John has some serious irony here. That's exactly what Jesus' disciples will do. They will go. They will travel way beyond the Jewish people. The, Jew, the disciples would take the gospel to the nations. And like their Savior, they'd continue to speak about Jesus, even in the face of persecution. Even though the opposition of the gospel was great, they would continue to proclaim the gospel so that people could hear. And while we don't face persecution like that in our country, right? we're, we're, we're probably not going to face what the Apostle Paul faced. They threw stones at him. They left him dead. Right? We're probably not going to face that, but I, I do feel like in our country, in our society, the opposition is ratcheting up. And so a question is, are we going to, like Jesus, continue to boldly proclaim the truth about who Jesus is, about why he came, that, that, that the world needs Jesus? The gospel is offensive in our culture. Right? It's offensive to say that, that someone's a sinner and they need a savior. It's offensive to say that Jesus is, is truth. Right? What, what our society wants us to say is that Christianity is, is, is just like, really like every other religion. Right? That, that they're all the same and, and it's all good. And that would make people happy. But you know what? That's not what they need. They need peace. People need peace that only Jesus can bring. Jesus didn't back down in speaking the truth. He, he told them why he was there, who he was. He, he loved them. He was going to glorify the Father even though they wanted him dead. He loved them. He wanted them to, to be saved. If you aren't regularly praying for people who don't know Jesus, if you aren't regularly praying for, for the words to share with people and the courage to share, start today. We're going to take communion in, in, a, in a moment here. The, the band will come up, and we'll, um, I'll encourage you to, to come up. If you know Jesus, come up um, and, and grab the bread and the cup and then take it back to your seat. And then when everybody has it all, I'll come up and lead us in it. Um, but as you're sitting in your seat, Will you spend a little bit of time just praying for people that you know that don't know Jesus yet? Praying that, that someday they'd eat this meal too, whether it's in our church or some other church, that they would come to know Jesus, that they would receive him as Lord, that they would trust him. So we'll have an opportunity to, to grab the elements uh, during this next song. Um, also, if you'd like prayer for anything, we're going to have people in the back while the doors open, and they're there to pray for you about anything. Maybe it has nothing to do with what we've talked about today. But maybe there's stuff that God's stirring in your heart. Maybe he's convicted you of something. Maybe you need help with something. I don't know. But if, if you'd like prayer, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that would love to pray with you. Let me pray now. Jesus, God, will you, will you give us the courage, Lord, that, that you have? Because we are in, uh, we're in a world, we're among a people that need desperately to hear about you. And you've given us the task uh, of sharing the gospel. Jesus, would we be quick to talk about you, Lord? Would we look for ways to share about the life that we have in you? Would, would we be ready to share that you've forgiven us of our sin, Lord? That you've saved us from wrath? 
that will spend eternity with you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for our community. Lord, I pray for, for our little part of the country. God, that you'd bring a revival. That people would respond to you in, in droves, Lord. God, that we would be a part of that, Lord. That we would not sit idle and hope that someone else will share the gospel with our neighbor or coworker, but that we would, we would be ready to do it, Lord. God, give us opportunities. Give us courage. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.